0: So um, so our discussion this morning, um, as we're looking, uh, I want us to look at this idea of, um, of God's love. So the first question uh, that he asks is, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? And so we'll, we'll deal with kind of that question, but I want to deal with this idea of um, God's choice for a minute. <clears throat> and as this passage is talking about God's love, I want to uh, kind of prime the pump a little bit and ask us to kind of think a little uh, think deeply about how God might feel about us and so the first question I want to um, ask you is what does it mean to call something your own so here God is calling when he when he uses the word election he 's just basically uh, getting across this idea of choice right that God has chosen us. you guys have chosen lots of things you 've seen something that you like, you choose it it could be a thing, it could be a person, hey, I want to be friends, hey, I want to. Uh, be more than friends, whatever it might be. Um, but when we think about making, uh, calling something your own, what does it mean to, for something to be yours? Right, so that yellow pillow is not yours. Okay, it's mine. No. But what does it mean to call something yours? So think about that uh, and then let me know uh, and then talk to me. It's kind of maybe you've never been asked this sort of question. You just have things. Hey, you snatch things. You possess it. Can't take this from me. What does it mean to call something your own? You take ownership and responsibility. Okay. So to call something your own, you say this is mine, right? You write Megan on it real big, right? And then I take on the care and responsibility of it. I think that's a great... Uh, I think that's a uh, a great start. What else? A a so as the verse says, I don't care about it. It's 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 just a yellow pillow. I'm saying that thing is mine. Who else stakes a claim? Right? All right. What else? Ooh, something you made. All right, how does that change the equation? Regardless of how awesome or not awesome the thing is, what does it mean that you made it? Like, I mean, it's <laughs> your. Another person not who created. Okay. And adding on to that, you have a certain level of pride. It's like like this. Level of pride. Love it. This, uh, this green. Green markers slowly dying. Isn't that a Christmas song, lyric? Our is slowly dying. What is that? Anyway, sorry. Ah, yes. Let us know. (laughs) Sorry. Level of what did you say? Of pride. Of pride in red. Level of pride. All right. All excellent questions. All right, all excellent answers. All right, is there a difference between owning something, okay, taking ownership, calling something your own, and caring for it? And so I don't mean care as in, like, have feelings for, but care as in verb. Like, I've got a bunny rabbit, okay, and I just want to pet it and, like, you know, put some, um, I don't know what you do to a rabbit. Does anybody have a rabbit? Yeah, what does she, how does she care for it? Or she have you care for it? Only if she got <laughs> <laughs> What's the bunny's name? Not that it matters. What? Clover. Clover. Okay. Sorry. I digress. So what's the difference between owning something, all right, so we, we defined uh, what that means to call something your own, and caring for it. Is there a difference between owning something and actually caring for it actively, all right. What's the difference? Like, you can own something and not take care of it, like, take your car, for like, you can't do <laughs> it. But like, if you don't put gas in it, you're not caring for it. Or okay. if you use the oil, you're not caring for it. Okay. I'm with you. Somebody else? I think a lot of times when you use caring for it as a reason to claim ownership, because you know, people are just spewing. Okay. And they're like, well, I'm caring for this thing, and yeah. you're not. Yep. Okay, so so taking, so in some cases, when we take care of it, that says that, hey, I want a part of this thing, all right? Maybe one more thought. When do we care, uh, when, uh, sorry, what is the difference between owning something and caring for something? Any other additions? Uh, caring is more of a responsibility given to us. Okay okay all right no no good yep okay all right so last question when do we decide to really care for that which we own all right so have you also there's another category where there's things that you own that you don't care about right yes they're usually like in your car on the floorboard Right, or high up in your closet, or under your bed. Right, or depending upon the level of dishevelment that you live in. Right, those could be lots of things, or just a few things. Right, do you have friends that live like in a lot of disorder? We'll say. <laughs> Everybody's like, uh, uh, yeah, I know, I know some people like that. So, uh, for those things, let's say you own something but have never cared about it before, and then all of a sudden you start caring about it. What, ha- what has happened? What has happened? If you own something and it just kind of sat there and all of a sudden it becomes valuable to you and you start caring for it. What has happened? You changed. You changed. Interesting. Okay. Anybody else? you understand the question? valuable to me Uh, and now it is okay Okay, excellent answers all all right, so let's turn uh, real quick to exodus nineteen four through six and I want to talk about this kind of idea of ownership and uh, so we can understand God's love for us uh, and we'll talk about I think why uh, that that is difficult sometimes. All right, so exodus nineteen four through six. so I'll read this. Uh, so this is uh, God's declaration to the uh, to the nation of Israel out, out uh, after he has uh, emancipated them from uh, Egypt and from Pharaoh. They're out in the wilderness. They have come to Mount Sinai, and this is God declaring to them that He is going to choose them. Right? He has He has He has acted on their behalf. Right? He has uh, rescued them and done something that they couldn't do for themselves. But like, but who is? Right, this person, who is this deity? And so, uh, verse four, if you or you're in Exodus uh, 19, verse four, and so he says this to the Israelites: You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. That here is a people uh, that were not related to him, right? uh, Overall, and he says that. Uh, that he reminds them that you yourselves have seen what I did, basically I've acted on your behalf and how I basically scooped you up and had you brought to me, okay? We there? So he has chosen them, right? Just like you, maybe you're looking around on your floor, you're like, you know what, I never noticed that. That thing's pretty valuable. I'm going to rescue it off of the floor and it's going to be mine. Verse 5. Now then... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the uh, earth is mine. So in verse 5 here, he is saying that if you, will have, um, that if you would be interested in having uh, a relationship with me, uh, in kind of biblical language, if you would covenant with me, he says this, verse 5, Obey my voice, keep my covenant. Then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. So he's saying, I've created all the people, but I want you to know if you'll covenant with me, right? If you'll have relationship with me, reciprocal relationship. I'm your God; you're my people. Then, right? You'll be my special possession. How many of you have special possessions? Like if there's a fire at your house, you've all, you maybe had this thought: What am I going to save, right? Anybody done this? And sometimes you might take inventory. Okay, last month I would have saved this. But this month, I'm going for these items, right? And so if you have, uh, my wife and I have children, that is going to be our special possession. There's some other things we would like where we're going to get the children out first. We love them the most. They are special possession of all the things that we have. And so why does this matter that God calls you his special possession or that you see yourselves as such? So talk about that amongst yourselves. Why would that matter? So just find a, find a buddy. Why does it matter that God thinks of me as his special possession? If I'm in him, right, if I have covenant relationship with the Father, if I'm, if I'm related to him by faith, why does it matter that he has special, that I am his special possession? All right, Go. Why does it matter? All right, I won't make you tarry too long. Hey, Hollis. Oh. <laughs> like we're a bunch of animals. I like to zoom. All right, so why does it matter? Uh, that uh, that God thinks of us as his special possession. Why might that matter to you? If you're somebody think about the things that you think are special to you. Why why does it matter that God thinks of you that way? Because if you want to go with the same with the house, he's going to throw you out the window first. He is. <laughs> I love you, man. Let's get out of here. <laughs> we could like just stay in the room and be like oh well, like, the, rest of the house on this it. No yeah, that we think of ourselves as to get you Yep. Yeah, I feel like it's a reminder of the way that God loves like, you know, how uh He makes us the priority and how He chooses us over other things, yep. like the way that, uh He loves pretty consistently. Yeah. So He created us, right? He chooses us over things, right? We have to think about this is helpful for us to think about as it relates to when we're suffering and dealing with things and how we deal with that. That's kinda where we're gonna that's where we're gonna end. Um, so when we're thinking about uh, this idea of, um, of special possession, um, let's look back then at our uh, verses here real quick. "So who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies." The point Paul is making here as he, this passage is encouragement for the believer. Right? Anyone in here need encouragement to live God's life? Yes. Two hands and a foot. Right? We need. We live in a world that is a, away from Him. That is not about His values. We need as much in, as encouragement as we possibly can. We need as much reminder of how much God is for us as we struggle through this life. But as He is saying this statement here, right, all day long. Uh, Satan, yourself, others around you. Megan talked about this before, right? As we stand in the courtroom, okay, God is saying, uh, God is saying, oh, Paul is asking, who shall bring any charges against God's elect? It's God who justifies. What he's saying here is, uh, God is not the person who judges you as you have uh, placed your faith in him. And if he's not the person, right, that brings charges against you, then. Then who does? Uh, Many believers struggle with their relationship with God because they have this idea, right, that God is constantly kind of just eye rolling (laughs) at them, right? Doesn't does anyone love to have eyes rolled at them, right? Isn't it just the just the most judgy thing that somebody can do? So dismissive. Rob. (laughs) Right? Somebody is bringing charges against you. It says, who can bring charges against you if it's God who justifies you? See, God doesn't want to make you right and judge you. Do you understand that? Like, that's how we live, though. (laughs) Anybody else do that? That we, we live as it's, like, hey, I, I know I'm, I've got heaven, or whatever that means, but, But he also is like completely, just consistently displeased with me. And we're trying to help, uh, Paul's helping us understand that is not God's, uh, that is not God's um, motivation towards you. He's your justifier. He's the one that makes you right before him. why, why would he judge you? This is really, really important. Uh, that we get just kind of that main fact that God is not the person that judges you if you are in Him. Okay? Any thoughts, questions about that before we move forward? Okay. Now, he then moves on to 34. Who is to condemn? Not God or Jesus, because Jesus is the one who died. More than that, He was raised, and He was at the right hand of the Father and is interceding for us. Not only is he, right, God, not the judger of you or the condemner of you, but he also is the one who died for you. That is, I think about the things that are special to me, like my children, if they're in trouble, like, I'm going to die for them. You understand that? And in in so doing, I am not against them. And yet, somehow we hold... Right, that God is for us in some nebulous way, but he's against us in a real specific way, right? <laughs> because of how we feel judged by our actions. But not only right, is, is that not what God does and who God is or what Jesus did or who Jesus is, right? but he is also actively interceding for us, pleading on our behalf, asking and soliciting others to do things on our behalf. And encouraging us to do things that we know to do. So here's the, if you'll flip to the the last one. And so here's kind of where we want to kind of finish our discussion. Verse 35. What a great question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he lists these things. Okay, and so here's where I want to kind of spend the rest of our time in discussion. When do you feel the most unloved by God? When these things are going on, right? Why? What, is our, what, are, what are our preconceptions about God and how he blesses us or how he feels about us that's connected to when things aren't going right in my mind? Don't we connect that if God is pleased with me, then he will uphold my comfort and my ease? And give me what I want? And so when that's not happening, there must be something else going on. Because how could how could a loving God not give me exactly what I want? Anybody else have the same problem? Yeah. Santa Claus. Santa Claus. So what do remember we're his special possession, okay? Uh, when we're, uh, what do we believe about being His special possession? Wrongly, he, he's what? As it relates to me, right? Like, like God's, like what I want God to do, and I never change this when I come, when I, when I come to Him in faith, is that God is for me and and, and like my dreams pre-Christ, right? Yes? What is God for? Like, what does God actually want for us? And I think this is going to help us get out of this mindset because the issue is not actually that wrong belief. It's the issue that we don't feel loved, and that's the thing that God does better than anything. You understand? So we've got to fix this thinking that he doesn't love us in the times when we need the most love, and he's like, dang it, no, that's what he's saying. What separates us from his love? Because we struggle with that. That's when we think, I need your love, and I don't have it, because you're letting me go through this. And so the question uh, I come back to then is, what does God actually want for us? If it's not our dreams to be fulfilled, now that's to find our happiness. What does God want for us? Because this is going to change the whole equation. Okay. And so that's like the real, real general thing, but how, do, how can we glorify him more specifically? Yeah. Okay. Who he is rather than our circumstances. Okay. Okay. What else? By trusting, him. By trusting Him. Yep. Anything else? Acting like He would act as Okay. Acting like He would act. So, um, God wants two things for you. Alright? He wants you to be like Him. He wants you to be Christ-like. Okay. So if he wants you to be Christ-like as opposed to basically have whatever you desire, then what is that going to mean for uh, how I look at um, something? Let's look at the list. Pick any of these things. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. If you're in trouble, is the fact they're in trouble showing that God doesn't love you? If my kid is in trouble under no fault of my own, how do I love him well? Talk about that for just two minutes. If your kid or your friend or your any of the others in trouble and it's not and that and you didn't put them there, how do you love them in the midst of that? All right, what you think? Huh? <laughs> All right. If if God's desire is for you to be Christ-like, and you're in the midst of tribulation, how is God going to love you well in that situation? What do you think? Give you what you need to endure it. Okay. Give you what you need to endure it. What else? Like, be, like more, more practically. Let's say I've lost a job and I'm just really struggling. can't find a job. How is he going to love me well in that situation? Because he's not like his desire, right, is not to alleviate my suffering. That's not his only desire. You understand that? Okay. Because you're not in trouble. (laughs) That's why you lost your job. Ah. Kirsten, I don't like her. Job gone. We just go through tribulations. What else? How's God love us in the midst of that? Is that too practical a question? Well, he loves us nebulously. (laughs) He loves us non-specifically. Do we love like that? I hope not. Our struggle with answering this question, what does that tell us? (laughs) Okay? I like that answer. How does that change the equation? Think about the last really, really hard thing you went through. Did you ask if God was there in the midst of that? Were there people trying to help and you wouldn't let them? Was he trying to give comfort and you wouldn't let him? Talk to me. In our minds, every one of these things separate us from God's love because if they're happening to us, he doesn't love me. And yet Paul is saying the opposite, that these things have not separated you from love, so it's our perspective that's incorrect here. So what questions then do you have about that? Talk to me. I know your minds are... This is really, really important. Mm. Somebody turn to James. This is going to kind of unlock this idea for us if we can get our head around it. So James 1, you guys know the verse I'm going for? What does it say? There's two verses in James 1 that I think will help, help unlock this a little bit for us. So 1-2, if you're not tracking with me, James 1-2. Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Note that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Have you ever endured anything like physically? Something's real itchy. (laughs) Something's hurting. Something's real boring. You're like, now I'm enduring this. What uh, if we can get through that right, this is what he's talking about. Consider it joy my brother when you count various trials knowing the testing of your faith produces perseverance and let uh produces endurance. Endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. If God's desire is not for you to be happy or have what you want, but it's to be Christ-like, then how is he going to love you well in those situations? Josh hit on this a little bit. How does this give us insight into what God is trying to help us do through this? Okay? Do we, but do we also see that the point again is not to alleviate what's there, is to show you that you can endure it? Because what does that do if you can? What does it do if you can do it? What does it show you? What does it matter? Any of you guys been through breakup? Lost a job? Lost a loved one? Did you get through it? What did you learn? A okay? This is the purpose. <laughs> that there is a purpose, and this is it. Right? Like you didn't explode in the middle of it, though you wanted to, right? How am I going to get through this? Oh my gosh, my whole body is so itchy. Like I remember, (laughs) it was like I had like hives or something. I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) my entire body is like one big itch fest, and I was like, I cannot endure this. And God enters into that, right? Or people into that with us through God's prompting, right? And they are with us through it. We're not alone in the process, right? Suffering and not being known, that is like the worst, is it not? Like suffering silently, God said that will never happen. I need you to understand that I'm I'm not just here for you like I'm sitting in a chair and just like counting the hours for you to get done with it. Like I'm here to get you through this so that you'll understand what the meaning of it was after the fact. What what does he say there in James? That as we endure the itch, right, that I know... (laughs) That this trial will produce endurance in me. That I can keep enduring with Him. Everything that may come. Because this tribulation, what's going to come next? Another tribulation, correct? I'm not hungry now, but I could be later. Right? this persecution, distress, danger. He is with me in every single one of these things. So let's look at one verse, and then we'll, we'll finish here. 117. <clears throat> James 117. Every, thing, uh, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. And how I want you to take this is that God is dead set on what his purpose for you is. Right? There's no variation, it doesn't change, he's not, he's not for you, you know, getting a new wardrobe on Monday, right, and for you to be the best basketball player you could be on Tuesday, and then on Wednesday, uh, free Frosties all day, right, he's not changing like his goal for you for the day, though, though that sounds like a pretty good Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday for us, right? But as there's no variation or shifting shadow in his goal for you, his special possession, okay. every good thing and every perfect gift is from above. That your Father, who loves you more than you can understand, is seeking to help you understand how much he loves you by doing that. There's a book called uh, Gentle and Lowly uh, that I've been reading, and I came across this quote, and we can kind of end with this. Uh, When we're thinking about all the things that we struggle with uh, in a given particular day, and so often we kind of stop short on that, man, if I could just get through this class, everything would be all right. Or man, if I could just get over this heartache. Or man, if I could figure out, you know, which job to take or where to live or whatever is like the giant thing in our life that week. Right? We think, well, if just that thing is not there, then everything will be just fine. And we talk about God's, uh, and thinking about God's love, and that's what kind of the book is about. He says this, and it's probably my my favorite quote I've come across so far. And I apologize, it's not on the screen. But it says, Jesus, talking about his love, was not sent here to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people or advise confused people or inspire bored people or spur on lazy people or educate ignorant people. He was here to raise dead people. I'll read that one more time. Christ was not sent to mend wounded people or wake sleepy people, or advise confused people, or inspire bored people, or spur on lazy people, or educate ignorant people, but to raise dead people. This is what life looks like. This is how God has defined life in Him. And so, as I... So often miss the mark that I feel like kind of a petulant child who didn't get like his one. I got every birth, uh, everything on my Christmas list except that one thing and I'm really pissed off about it, right? We get that way sometimes, don't we? I'm that petulant child that like, oh, God doesn't love me. He didn't give me everything I wanted. And I remember that the thing that I need most is what he gave me. And he's continually trying to give me that and work for that every day is life. He didn't come to fix my stuff. He came to make me alive. My problem was that I'm dead and that I love dead stuff. Amen? You understand that? (laughs) That's my problem? (laughs) So to finish off that thought here, a little bonus verse, Ephesians 2. If I can find it here. promises is the last one. Where are you? Here we go. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, Ephesians 2.1, and in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the power of the prince of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of ob- ob- disobedience. Among them, too, we formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, so that as the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and the kindness towards us. For it is by grace we have been saved, not of ourselves, a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. This week and our last week together for lunch next week, talking about the love of God. That if there's anything that I want you to, and I want myself to get better at, of anything is understand how much God loves me, and it will change everything about your life. I promise. Let's pray. Father, you love us lavishly. Father, I have never deserved your love. There is not one thing that I have done that makes me worthy of you dying for me. For a righteous person, you say that someone might die, but not for an enemy. Not for someone that over and over and again doesn't appreciate you. Father, that is who I am. And yet you say, Rob, who condemns you? Isn't it me that justifies you? Father, if you're for me, who can be against me? Father, as Ethan said, if I was in a house fire, you would run in there risking your life as you already have and throw me out the nearest window. Because I am your special possession. You are always for me. Father, would you help me understand what that means? Because it's not about getting what I want, Father, that you love me enough to give me what you want. And you're never going to stop. You're never going to stop fighting me for what you want. Lord, that is love. Father, would we accept your love? Would we open up our hearts to say, maybe I don't know what love is. But begin to ask you and to read your word. To seek your character above all things. So that I can know and walk around as one who is God's special possession. If there's anything that would give me more confidence on a day-to-day basis, it's that. That I'm dearly loved. I'm amazingly cared for. And that I have a future that someone can't take away. Who can separate me from God's love? Nothing and nobody. I love you for that, Father. Help me understand it better. Help us understand that better. In Christ's name, amen.